Hello, everybody, and welcome to In the Spotlight, a podcast where we highlight the people, technology, and companies making a difference in the live entertainment industry. In this episode, we put a spotlight on Brian Larsh. Brian has a closet of many different hats that he gets to wear, such as an effects designer, lighting director, production designer, programmer of all the things, and even dog dad. But wait, there's more! He works on The Kelly Clarkson Show, and although once a Disneyland stage tech, now serves as a consultant, among other roles, in some of the Walt Disney Company's most memorable theme park spectacles all around the world. So, join me as we take a look at the macro page of talent, who is Brian Larsh. What's up, Larsh? Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Nick? Good. Now, you're currently in a mandatory two-week quarantine in Hong Kong, is that right? <laughs> yes, I am. I've uh, been here for, let's see, today I just woke up on day 11 of 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I have a I have a fun government-issued tracking bracelet on me right now. <laughs> wow. Um, and, uh, uh, and yeah, I'm, I, I'm not allowed to leave the room. I, they gave me a hotel uh, room key, and it worked once. So... Um, if I leave my room, uh, they said they'll call the authorities. Uh, so Dang. yeah, it's, it's pretty intense out here, but, uh, Hong Kong is one of my favorite cities in the world to go work and play. So I'm happy to be here, even though there's some extra precautions given the, the time of, of, uh, the year we're in, I guess, with COVID and everything. So sure. Are you, are you kind of using this time that you have in your hotel room to maybe prep for whatever work that's ahead of you or? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like we, we, uh, for, for my, I'm working on a show here in Hong Kong right now for, for Disney. So we are, um, we're in the middle of, you know, developing that show. So there's different animatics I can look at and start to decide like what I'm going to do with all the, the effects and everything. Um, but, uh, I'm also taking the time to catch up on my PS4 games as well. So <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. I would probably do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Now you got a couple different uh, projects going on at the moment, but and we'll get into those. But um, let's go back to the beginning. When did you? When did all this start for you? How did you get started in live entertainment? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, and you know, I think as a kid, I've, I've always been curious with technology, and uh, you know, like I, I remember at the age of like eight or nine, like uh, taking apart my Fisher Price radio uh, just to see what was in the inside. Um, but I wouldn't say obviously that was like my start. I just know I always had a curiosity as a kid. Um, but my, my first, I would say launching point was a uh, senior in high school. I started to volunteer, uh, in my youth group at my church, um, for, for lighting. They, they needed some volunteers. And, uh, and so I, I jumped in at the time I was, I was working at, uh, in and out Burger. Uh, and it was like living my best life there. Um, but, uh, there was some, there was something cool about, about what I was doing volunteering that just really caught my eye. Um, I remember I actually wanted to be an audio guy because <clears throat> uh, that's all I knew. I, I didn't know anything of lighting. I didn't know that lighting was a thing. Uh, I just knew about audio. So I, I volunteered and I said, okay, I want to do audio. And they said, okay, come back next week. And so I came back the week after and I remember uh, going into the booth and the audio guy uh, he was like so overwhelmed in that moment. He's like, you know, I don't have time to teach you uh, today, but in the meantime, why don't you go ahead and do lights? I was like, what, what do you mean do lights? Right. <laughs> I literally had no concept because I just, I wasn't, I didn't have the, the, the traditional theatrical background, like, you know, working in a theater or anything. Um, so he kind of showed me some faders and said, yeah, you do this. And the light goes on. And I was just like blown away. <laughs> yeah. I was a 17 year old. So, um, I kind of like, 
started there and uh and I think I was there for about six months as a just as a volunteer and but at the same time in those six months I was doing research studying on my own more about lighting and control and uh and then I I, I loved rock concerts as well so I was trying to like I was watching different like at the time DVDs of of uh different shows like U2 and Linkin Park and stuff and trying to figure out how to incorporate like different you know, lighting styles, uh, into, into a church world. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty cool. And about six months in, I, I got offered a job and, uh, I took it and it was hard because I, I loved uh, getting the free in and out burgers. Uh, <laughs> right. But, but it, it was, uh, I was actually blown away when they offered me a job. I was like, you guys are actually going to pay me to have fun. Right. And that's, I think mm-hmm. when it clicked for me, I was like, oh my gosh, like this isn't actually a job. Little did I know it was going to be the career that I, I stepped into for my life. Do you have any other family members who are involved in entertainment or have you been kind of the only one in your family? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I have a few actually. So I, I come from a big family. Uh, I have uh, four brothers and two sisters. Um, my, my older brother, Danny, uh, he, uh, he's a musician and a worship leader uh, for a mega church in Arizona. So, uh, you know, in the, in the early days, uh, actually when I was working at the church, he was the youth uh, worship leader, and I turned into being the youth technical director. So there was a there's a really cool era there that him and I were working really closely together. <clears throat> so it's been really cool actually with with my brother Danny and I um, throughout the years as he's grown in in with his music, um, and then me with with technical and creative that we we've been able to share you know, our projects we're, we're working on. Um, and I understand him. He's the more onstage talent, right? Where I'm the backstage talent. Mm-hmm. So for, for, you know, ever since, you know, as a teenager, we've, we've been able to connect on that level, um, which has been really fun, uh, even to this day and, and looking forward. So that's cool. Um, and then my, my other brother, uh, Mike, he uh, is a tech at Disney. And so he kind of followed in my footsteps and um, and loved watching me throughout the years, you know, with, with lighting and stuff. And he took interest in tech and lighting. And uh, so, yeah, as of right now, he's, he's working at, at Disney in Anaheim uh, as a Sage technician. So it's been fun, again, with him, like just connecting with him on a, on a completely different level. Uh, and, uh, also asking him, you know, all the fun stories with all the texts that I've, I've missed, um, since, since I worked there as a tech for, for many years. Yeah, I bet. What would you say your favorite types of projects to work on? Do you prefer more of the, uh, challenging type, the more straightforward type, maybe something that's super like creative and hands-on, which I guess can fall under the challenging category. What's, what's sort of your favorite project that kind of perks your ears up? Uh, yeah, I would say definitely challenging projects for sure. Um, I, I really like projects that push me as an individual. Um, and, uh, that way, like I can better my crafts and, and also just, there's so much fun in the challenge, right. Of working with new technology and, uh, trying to figure out, you know, something, how to make it work or manipulate it to, to what you want it to be creatively. Yeah, I I would agree. I think I'm sort of the same way. You know, I think if it was easy, then uh, it would get kind of boring after a while. So something new. Well, and everyone would be doing it too, right? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the first few years of your career in this industry, you did a bunch of uh, lighting programming and other types of media and whatnot. And that's really what you were known for as well. Uh, since then, it seems like you've taken on a lot more work that's kind of focused in the design and creative direction uh, side. In fact, you worked for 
uh, Moment Factory based out of Canada for a little while, if I remember correctly, as yeah. a uh, multimedia director. So was that move influenced by a desire to pull back from the programming world a little bit? And like, if so, why that change? I think I was at a point where I, I felt like the challenges were becoming a little bit less and less at Disney working, working on these projects, even though they are massive projects. Um, I, I just kind of felt like I, I checked off a lot of the boxes, right. With working on special events at Disney to, uh, working on the original world of color and moving on to, you know, designing and, and developing, uh, programming firework shows at all the, the different theme parks around the world. Sure. Um, I was just at a point where I was, wanting to see what else was out there. Right. And, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, the design part of it has really, uh, intrigued me. Um, I, I think a lot of it actually had to do with, uh, I was, I was traveling so much that I think in 2016 was kind of like the peak of all of my crazy international travels. I think I was like home collectively. I want to say like five months that year. It was just, it was insane. Just, I was, I was bouncing from park to park, uh, opening up, uh, you know, the new Shanghai park and a few other projects around the world. And I was just kind of getting tired. I was like, okay, well, I, I love, I love the industry. I just want to see what else is out there to maybe ground me a little bit and, and keep me home a little bit more, not cut out travel completely, just kind of invert, I, I would say the, the work. And that kind of led to design, which, um, you know, that, and in that time I, uh, had been contacted, uh, by a few friends saying, Hey, you know, moment factory is looking for some, uh, uh, multimedia directors. Um, it might be a good fit for you. So I, I, I thought it was a good transition to, you know, um, I guess spread out my portfolio a little bit, right. And, and work for a company that, you know, does obviously amazing work. Um, Moment Factory, like the, the projects they, they have are incredible and, and the work and the talent inside is just incredible. So uh, yeah, so I, I decided to to make the jump and move to Montreal. I'm born and raised in California. So that was a huge jump in itself. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I had a good time working there. Yeah, what was, what was that transition like? I mean, both on a personal level and a professional level, obviously growing up, you know, born and raised in California, now moving to Montreal, especially, you know, in Canada. What was all that like, that move? Yeah, it, it, was, it was a whirlwind for sure. Uh, I mean, you know, Montreal does get cold. I, I had a, a pretty brutal winter where, you know, the high was, you know, some days, you know, negative two. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, it was, yeah. And so from a personal level, it, it was hard, right? I mean, um, I, I have no friends or family uh really on the east coast or in montreal so it was kind of starting over from scratch um and uh, uh so yeah I, I would say that that was that was really really hard on me but uh, i i did have fun in montreal montreal is a great city uh, great food and everything um but i i think maybe about five or six months in i, I just really knew i i um i needed to come back in sooner than later. Um, right. so ultimately I, I was in, in Montreal for, uh, a year, an entire year. Um, so, so that was personally, I, and I think you asked me professionally as well. Yeah. How did that uh, yeah. I mean the, the work was definitely different. Um, it was dealing a lot more like with meetings and, um, you know, um, working with, with animators, um, which 
at Disney, I, I really didn't have to, I, I wasn't involved as much in the, the animation um, process with, with video uh, uh, or media. Uh, I, I would collaborate with them, but I was never in a position to direct animators. So this position I held here was more of a leadership role and, and you know, encouraging the animators and, and, uh, and also making those, those, those decisions of what needs to get cut or what we need to move forward with. So that part of it, I, I enjoyed and I thrived in that part, right? Where I, I had a voice and I was able to communicate that properly uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the people I worked with at Moment Factory. So it was really fun. When you decided to come back to the States after your work with Moment Factory, what sort of uh, gigs or jobs did you pick up when you came back? Yeah, I, you know, when I, when I left Moment Factory, I had, had the, the, the new experience of a multimedia director and, and uh, exercising those like leadership and uh, roles. Um, I knew coming back, it was going to be a hybrid situation, right? Like I, I knew I was good at lighting programming and, and design, um, and I knew I could make make money doing that. Um, but I also still wanted to continue my, my quest with in more of the designer role, uh, like production designer and this and that. But again, I knew it was going to be a hybrid. So when I came back, I was like, you know, it'd be perfect is if I could be put like on a, on a TV show in LA, um, that is kind of like a low key thing that, you know, will pay me for the skills I have, but knowing that, um, it, it wasn't going to be like something I'm going to continue to, to pursue, pursue full time. Um, so that was in the back of my head, just something I, I wished for. Um, and I, I got a call, um, about a month after I moved back to, to LA, um, from a, from a lighting designer. And, and he asked me if I wanted to program with him on the Kelly Clarkson show. And he said it takes three days a week and, uh, it's a good crew and uh and all these other things and i was just like this is amazing this is perfect this is exactly what i wanted like it's it's not too much work it's three days a week i can still work on other projects um and kind of keep that time open so um so yeah so i've I've been working with uh kelly clarkson for uh well since since last year uh the the pandemic kind of put a little wrench into that but um Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it's it's been great working with her and on that show. Uh, it's it's fun. She definitely has a, a, a talent and an amazing voice. So it's it's really cool to do lighting uh, for her and trying to give the best visuals to make her look the best. You know. And when it comes to design, um, you know, on the on the shows you do now, what, what is what is that creative pro? What is that creative and design process like on these big shows that you tend to work on now? Even even down to a, a granular level of, uh, you know, choosing the type of lighting equipment or the layout of a fountain array or even the types of fountains that are on that array you know what is what is involved from the conception of a show to the end result that the public ultimately gets to experience i mean it 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 can be it can be simplified very easily to this to this one point it all comes down to the story and whether you know because i i deal with tech both technical uh and creative uh elements right yeah but it it comes down to the story and what we want to communicate to our audience whether um, you know, it's, it's, uh, about, you know, togetherness or, or family or, or, you know, believing in your own dreams, whatever it is, uh, it, it comes down to what is that specific story? What do we want to communicate? And then how do we get there? Um, so then we start, you know, breaking it down. Okay. What are our visuals? What do we have to work with? Is it, is it a projection surface, uh, at four visuals? Is it a water screen? Is it both? Uh, and it, we, we just start to slowly paint the picture, right? So, 
I would say we have the off the shelf products like, um, you know, static fountains, which is your traditional fountain just goes up and down, uh, but no, no movement or anything. Um, those are pretty easy to place and, um, and everything, but we, we also look at like new technology as well, like, because we always want to wow our audience, right? Sure. So we're also trying to figure out like what else can we add to the show that's the surprise element that is really going to uh, to excite our, our guests. So ultimately it comes down to story and how we communicate that in a technical and creative way. Sure. Um, and do you have like a, do you have a favorite type of effect that you tend to use a lot in the shows you've worked on? And maybe whether that's on purpose or not, it just ends up being in all the shows that you do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what's cool about the shows I, I do at Disney is it's all about the layering of different, um, different effects, right? Because we work with, with, of course, you know, um, pyro, we work with flames, we work with lasers, we work with water, we work with light, we work with projection. Like, like those are our main like elements, but it's the balance of like of all of those things that make a good show, right? So I, I'd say for me, like one of the coolest effects I love is working uh, with our with the laser designer and and with water fountains. Um, I, there's some really cool magical effects <clears throat> that that we we create uh, just using um, you know the, the water picking up the laser beam. Um, yeah, and. Yeah. To me, that's that's like one of the most magical things because it, it literally comes out of nowhere. Um, and I think that's uh, jumping to World of Color for a second. Um, I think on the development of that show, uh, that was one of the coolest moments in the development of the original World of Color was all of us at you know two o'clock in the morning. Um, the laser designer was kind of doing his thing. Um, and uh, Jason Badger was on Fountains and he's he's kind of doing his own thing. And then uh, the director was like, okay, everyone stop, look up, like, don't touch anything. What, what did you guys just do? Right. No one was working together on anything, but what was happening was Jason was moving his fountains uh, left to right in a beautiful, graceful way. Claude, uh, our laser designer, he had his lasers kind of spread out at a low intensity to where you couldn't see the full beam, but all you saw was what we call a laser comet, right. Where like in the middle of, 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 the, the the air like is this amazing laser comet like out of nowhere so uh to me that, that was just like one of those amazing effects that we discovered uh back in 2010 um and it's in different ways has evolved and, and uh, made its way into our shows in some way so yeah, it's always fun to have those happy accidents uh in that, you know, in the process of developing a show. And you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, you work on a lot of these shows that contain all sorts of different elements, like, you know, fire and lasers and projection and fountains. And like you said, you know, it's all about layering these different types of effects together. Um, But how, how do you really go about creating the looks of those scenes, you know, and, and finding that balance between what you can use as opposed to what you should use to create those special moments in the show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think first and foremost, it's all about the approach, right? Each designer brings their best to the table, right? Um, and every, every designer, even though we all know it's, it's a collaboration, we all do what we think is best for, let's say lasers or for lighting. So like the laser designer, he's going to approach this as this is a laser show. I'm going to do something really cool in this moment because the music calls for it. Right. And then me in the, in the chair for fountains and lighting, I'm going to say, this is a kind of, this is a fountain show or this is a lighting show. I'm going to do what I feel like is best. Right. Uh, and then the same thing for video. Right. Uh, so then we all kind of play together and look at it 
and then we go, okay, well, which one wins, right? Like we, we look in the story of, of what we're trying to, what we're trying to uh, convey to the audience. Um, but then we, we just kind of pick and choose like, you know, that laser moment, we need to give that its glory because that is beautiful. Um, okay. So we're going to cut fountains here. So as much as I, you know, let's say worked on a queue and I thought it was the most beautiful queue in the world. Um, then, you know, looking at it and, and I get the, the, the note, like we need to cut that. Um, it, it, I, I will say like, it does hurt for a quick moment, but <laughs> <laughs> just, but you, you can't be attached to any of it. Um, because you're, you're a part of a team and you're trying to get to the end goal of making the show the best that it can be right. and finding that balance. So, so ultimately, yeah, we, we just all bring our best to the table and then we just pick and choose of like which one looks best in this moment and which one wins. Um, and, uh, and a lot of the times, uh, you know, fireworks win, but <laughs> cause they, they blow, they blow everything out. So you have a yep. beautiful scene until we get to pyro rehearsals and then, then it just, it all gets washed out. So that's, that's off the unbalance of trying to figure that out. <laughs> You've actually been in the programmer seat and the designer seat many different times. How important is that relationship dynamic between the programmer and the designer? Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's, it's like, I, I mean, <laughs> equivalent to like a marriage, right? I mean, you, you need to understand like what that other person is, is not just thinking, but feeling right. And, and you need to have that shorthand with whether you're the programmer to the designer or the designer to the programmer. Um, you know, like I've never seen the designer above a programmer, right? It's, it's a, it's an equal position where it's a, it's a collaboration. Right. Um, and I've, I, one of my favorite lighting designers, Casey Wilkerson, like he, he uh, was one of my mentors working at Disney. Like we, we jived really well. Right. And, and, uh, and it was fun that, that we were able to understand each other and, and finish each, each other's sentences of, of, you know, what we wanted to do. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's super important to, to have that shorthand with, with the designer or the programmer. Yeah. I'm sure. And, and as a designer in the end, it just makes your job so much easier too. It does. Yeah. And then not only that, like it, it makes it fun, right? Because there's always a pressure on every show of crap. Like I need to make sure we are ready by opening day. Right. And if, if you have somebody that, you know, is slower or, or whatnot, then you, you know, getting to the finish line is going to be a little bit more challenging. But when, when you have that shorthand with, with the other, you know, guy you're working with or girl, then, then it just, it allows you to have more fun, right? Because you know, you're confident that you are going to get there, um, you know, at, at the, at the finish line with the product you want, um, but it allows you more time to play and discover and, and joke around, um, you know, and, and ultimately like, that's what makes these, these, uh, these shows fun, right? Because uh, the majority of the time when, well, no, all the time when we're, when we're programming like a fireworks show, we have to work in the middle of the night and that's not really fun to, to be working, um, you know, at two, three, four in the morning. Um, but when you're with people that you love and people that, you know, you get to joke around with, um, then it, it makes it worth it. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. And similar to the favorite type of effect question, but more specific, do you have a favorite tool or a piece of equipment that you just have to have when you're designing or programming? And this, this could be a lighting fixture, a console, anything like that. Uh, well, as a programmer, for sure. I mean, the, the grand MA, uh, I mean, it is such a workhorse and so versatile that, um, we're, we're able to do anything we want with it. Um, and, uh, so 
for sure, that has to be the backbone of, of these shows. It handles time code really well. Um, you know, all of the majority of the Disney shows, all the fireworks shows are all time code based. So we need to make sure that, uh, that time code is implemented. Of course, the MA takes that really well. Now, when you are working on these shows and you're in the middle of a project, uh, sometimes you get the rarity of having some off time. How do you try to relax or get your mind off work during those periods? Or, or is that even possible? You get off time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ultimately, like when I'm, when I'm working overseas for, for Disney, we're working six nights a week and, and they're pretty, pretty, uh, pretty long nights. Uh, so on our time off, uh, depending on the city, um, you know, we'll have one night off. Right. Yeah. So I guess the best way, cause it changes on every project, but it's based on each location. So, I mean, I can give you an example, um, on a project I worked on at Tokyo Disney, uh, last year, we, we were doing a show there. And again, you're, you're, you're on this graveyard schedule. You're sleeping during the day. You're waking up at two in the afternoon. I try to, to have some kind of a schedule, um, and get myself out of the hotel room. Um, or else I'm just going to stay <laughs> in the hotel room, whether it's mm-hmm. FaceTiming family and friends or playing PS4. Um, so I would say during the week, uh, I, I try to get down to the gym, uh, in Tokyo, they have a swimming pool at, at the hotel we stay at. So it's, it's great to, to do some laps. Um, but then we do have that one magical night off. <clears throat> so in Tokyo, we, we, we treat ourselves to a, a nice dinner, um, you know, like throughout the week, we're, we're not really eating like Kings and Queens. We, we just kind of pick up a sandwich and then go into work with Starbucks or whatever. But that one night off, like we, we treat ourselves well. Right. And so we're, we're usually trying to find the best five-star restaurant with a view, um, and having, you know, an amazing steak dinner or, or whatnot. And then we do try to stay out as late as we can. Right. Because you're, you're on this graveyard schedule. It doesn't make sense to to switch over, uh, and you know, for, for one night and then switch back for six. Right. So, you know, Tokyo, Tokyo is great for that. That, that, that town is open all night. Um, and you know, we, we will go out to dinner and then we, we stay out all night until five or six in the morning. Um, but it's, it's not that hard, right? Because you're already on the schedule. So yeah. karaoke is, is, uh, is a hot commodity for, for us when we <laughs> go out there in Tokyo, uh-huh. uh, Tokyo, they, they love the karaoke. So, uh, we've, we've done that quite a bit. Um, but it's always fun just to discover, you know, the town you're in, right. I mean, it's, 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 it's cool that Disney, um, or any other company that I would work for is paying you to be in this country or in this city. So why not go explore? Because it's, 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 you know, it's free that, that we're there. Right. So, so I love to explore, explore the cities as well when I'm, when I'm out there. So how do you deal with, uh, you know, doing these projects and basically working overnights the whole time while you're, while you're building these shows and, and how does that affect the creative juices and your process? Yeah, I, I would say that's definitely like the hardest part of, of my job, uh, working these overnight shifts is being creative at three o'clock in the morning. All you want to do is crawl into bed, <laughs> you know, right. um, it's and especially depending on where you're at in the world if it's raining or even snowing <laughs> and cold. Um, but you, you have to fight through that because you have to remember the work you are doing, the decisions you're making at three o'clock in the morning is the final work that thousands of people are going to see come showtime, you know, at nine, nine thirty at night. 
And when, when they come to Disney to expect nothing but the best, you have to create the best at three o'clock in the morning. And it's so easy when you're on the lighting console to make a cue and go, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's acceptable. Like that'll do. But you know, in the back of your head, you know, like Brian, if you take five more minutes, you can make this look a little bit better and execute it a little bit better. Right. Or, or whatever that is, um, whether it's timing changes to, to, you know, led lights or, or whatever. Um, you, you have to push through and give yourself that, that extra time to go, no, I need to not cut myself short here, uh, because I'm cutting, you know, the guests short, uh, you know, by, by delivering a, uh, you know, a mediocre product. So I th- I'd say that's the hardest part for sure is, is pushing yourself in that moment because nobody else will, right. Cause no right. one else knows what's happening in your brain. If you know, they just expect you're going to bring the best. Right. And, uh, so that's for sure the hardest, but also the most rewarding, right. When you see something cues or sequences happen during a show, you go, yeah, like, I'm so glad I spent the 20 minutes to figure out how to map the whatever, or figure out the timing of this or that, or whatever it is. Um, you know, because it's it's played night after night after night. (laughs) So, uh, especially in the world with like YouTube and, um, you know, the, the first rehearsal that we do with, with, uh, let's say cast previews or whatever, that's the, that's the, the footage that gets locked onto YouTube and played, you know, thousands and thousands of times. So, you know, when we do a dress rehearsal, even though we have more work to do, like, it's really not a dress rehearsal. <laughs> it's yeah. like whatever we have on that first night is, is sticking to the, to the internet. So we have to make sure we're, we're ready for that. Now let's get into a little bit of your life as far as travel goes. You know, you obviously, as you mentioned, you do a lot of international projects. So is it safe to assume that you you indeed love to travel in general and you're a bit of a travel buff? No, I, I love it. I, I truly love it. Um, I mean, b- before I started traveling internationally with Disney, I was like itching to get on these projects, right? And do the business travel thing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I will admit, like I am a point snob now for, tri- for, for credit card points and <laughs> like the travelguy.com. Uh, like, like I love, I'm on that site like every day. Um, so I, I, I love the travel. I, I love the, the airline points, like the hotel points, everything. I, I'm, I'm completely sold on that. Um, and it's, it's fun because, you know, kind of going back to the last question a little bit, like um, I, I'll be working in Hong Kong. Uh, this just happened last year. Uh, I was on a project and there was an unexpected delay. And they're like, well, Brian, we don't need you for a week. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I've been to Hong Kong many a times. Um, a week isn't long enough to really go home. Uh, it's back to the States and then come back. Uh, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to travel. So I went to Thailand. Right. And it was in, mm-hmm. and, and I had a 24 hour heads up notice to myself of, of this, this uh, delay happening with the project to me being on a plane flying to Thailand for 12 days. Um, and uh, it's, that's, I love it. Right. And, and even because I, I, I didn't know I was going to be in Thailand and here I am like uh, yeah. traveling and, and hanging out in Bangkok. So uh, I, I love travel. I think I've been to 27 countries to this point. Wow. 27, 28, something like that. That's pretty awesome. And and for just for some added little large fun facts here, what in all your travels, what has been, it's probably going to be hard to answer, but what has been your favorite place you've ever traveled to, whether that be for work or for fun, but do you have like a favorite spot that has just tops everything? I would say Bali. Bali uh, down in Indonesia is one of my favorite islands. I've been, I think, five times now. But 
specifically the the first time I went to Bali, I was 21 and uh, I went with, with uh, a group of guys, uh, good friends of mine. And we went, this was pre, you know, smartphones. So mm. we went to Bali without any of our cell phones and we went for, I think like three or three and a half weeks. Um, all we had was our backpack and a surfboard and no agenda, no nothing. And it turned out to be one of those incredible trips that couldn't have gone any better as far as like what we did or the adventures and the stories that we came, uh, that we came home with. Um, and hands down, you talk to any of those, those, uh, those guys that I went on the trip with, they will say like, that was the most memorable trip for sure. It was just so full of adventure and, and, uh, we just, kind of chose every day what we were going to do. And we met some really fun people that we, you know, that were there that we didn't know before. And so it was, it was a, a amazing place to go to. And of course I've, I've been four times since then. So love it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think, uh, those are always sometimes as, as much as I, I'm a bit of a, you know, an organization freak. So I always like to plan stuff out, but, but I got to say, even, even some of my favorite memories are like that where it's like, you know what, no agenda, just go find something to do. And some, yeah, those are the best memories. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm the same way as you, Nick. Like I, I, I love planning things. Like I love doing the research and, and, you know, figure out where I'm going to stay and how many nights and what I'm going to do and everything. And, um, but there's something so cool. I will say about just kind of letting that all go and just, you, you really like live in the moment and it's, it's fun. I, I, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great unique way to travel. Yeah. And now you mentioned, like you said, you're a bit of a, a point snob. So what, what is your favorite uh, airport and your favorite airline that you, uh, that you like the most? Mm. Uh, my favorite airport I've been to, oh, can I tell you my, my least favorite airport Absolutely. <laughs> as well? <laughs> okay. Well, let's start with my favorite one. Um, I, Singapore for sure mm -hmm. was the coolest airport I've ever had a layover in. Um, and it was coming back from Bali actually. Uh, I mean, there's a freaking mall in there. There's a movie theater. Um, you know, they, they have an M&M store, which is amazing. Um, but no, they, they have so many, like so much to do in there. It just, it does not feel like an airport. It's, it's incredible. Uh, so I, I love flying through there. My least favorite airport is Charles de Gaulle, uh, which is <laughs> yes. the Paris airport. Um, it is so confusing. It, you know, it looks like a spaceship. When you land, you look at the building it's, it's just that ugly, like, you know, 60s architecture, I believe, just like a lot of concrete. Mm -hmm. um, but nothing makes mm -hmm. sense. It's just weird. Um, I, um, I think that the worst thing about the airport is, is when you, I've, I've had to pick up people at the airport and there's no signs to tell you what, it, what airline is where. Um, so that's, that's like super confusing as well. So um, yeah, worst airport. Um, my airline of choice is united i know like there's an ongoing debate of which which you know u.s uh airline is the best i get that um but you know like i think i've had you know status with united for so long that it's a different ball game like if you maintain a high status um they they do treat you better right and the perks yeah. are better yeah. so um i've i've already you know, I'm so sold into, you know, the, the point system with them that it's like, there's no turning back. They, they have me hooked. Yeah. Um, it's hard to really go with anybody yeah. else at that point. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, so United's great. Um, you know, for, for the, especially international travel, the Polaris, uh, um, business class is amazing. Uh, and then the Polaris lounges, 
um, I will say are the best lounges I've ever been in. Um, you know, and I've been in like the AMX Centron. Yeah, I, I've been in there. It just feels like super overcrowded and and uh, whatnot. Um, but I, I love the uh, the Polaris United lounges. They're they're incredible. Yeah, United, especially when it comes to international travel, seems to be a lot of people's favorites. And uh, mine, mine too, frankly, from my experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I love uh, traveling to Asia. I, I would say I, I've flown ANA. Uh, they're the Japanese airline. They're, they're incredible. The service is great too. So they're, they're definitely on my list. Um, and I haven't flown Singapore air. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm anxious to try out like one of their suites, right? Cause I, oh, right, I yeah. have suites on there. So I'm trying to finesse my AMX points to, to figure out how to, how to get a suite on, on Singapore air at some point once we can all travel normally again. Yeah, for sure. Now, just to appease my other life as a pilot, what is your favorite airplane to fly on? Um, I would say the Dreamliner. Yeah. 787. Well, okay. So, yes, that that I will say currently is my favorite. It it uh it's super quiet, uh it's super smooth. I it's, you know, super roomy in there as well. Um sorry being a snob though, I've never flown it in in uh, economy, so <laughs> can't can't uh tell you what it's like uh back there. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I will say my all-time favorite though was the 747, which uh, they you know they're discontinuing at this time. Uh, but I I loved that. One of my favorite flights was flying from San Francisco to Hong Kong uh, on United, uh, and uh, and being able to be on the up the upper level, uh, it, it felt like uh, private uh, flying, right? I mean, because oh, yeah. there's only I don't remember how many seats, but there's only like maybe. 14 uh business class seats up upstairs mm-hmm. so you know you get on the plane you go straight upstairs and and it's super quiet and super like like i said it feels like you're on a, on a private jet so yeah i do miss that plane a lot well those are good picks i'll i'll accept those answers well hold on what's yours oh <laughs> uh, well uh i would say that my favorite uh to fly on um is probably as well for international flights at least is definitely the dreamliner my favorite airplane altogether is a triple seven. That's actually the one I want to fly myself uh, when I yeah. progress progress in that career. So uh, yeah, anything from the uh, Dreamliner triple seven area, and you know, even the A three fifty is growing on me. I like that one a lot. Now you are a proud dog dad to your your doggo Jake from State Farm, yeah. who just celebrated his third birthday. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, my boy's three. <laughs> so happy birthday, Jake. Um, so what, what happens with, with Jake and anything else here that you've got going on at home when you're out on these international trips like you are right now? So I, I do have some, you know, great family that, that will take, that take him in a heartbeat. So it's kind of having to, to uh, watch them fight over who's going to take him because he's, he's a great boy. He's a Rhodesian Ridgeback, um, just heart of gold. Love that little man. Um, but I would say the best best place for him to go right now, and it's where he is right now, is is with my sister and her husband, um, Jamie and Aaron. They they live up in Northern California, and uh, they have two two other dogs. So um, it's just like a cousin, you know, sleepover fest for for him going up <laughs> there. Um, you know, so he he gets to, to to wrestle with them all day, and then they take him out on hikes. And uh, you know, I, I woke up this morning, uh, to some videos of them, of the dogs swimming in a pond and, and just running through fields and having like the best time of their lives without me. So <laughs> it's, it's good to get that, but yeah, he, 
Uh, I, I do miss him a lot, uh, but but he's definitely in good hands no matter who he's who he's with. But yeah, that's awesome. Now, uh, coming up in the future, you've got a, a project in Shanghai that you're going to be playing the role of uh, production designer for. Um, what exactly is your scope as a production designer and what are your responsibilities throughout that process? Yeah, for sure. So I was approached uh, by Disney asking me to jump into this role. And this is the first time I've been a production designer. And I think the production designer role and the scope changes based on the project, right? Whether it's going to be heavy in, in scenic design um, or, or, or whatnot. But my, the show I'm working on is, is, the, is for Shanghai Disneyland. Um, so, so, um, I'm ultimately responsible for any of the new elements that we're going to put into the show, um, and how they're designed. And, um, I, I think the heaviest challenge in, in working right now on, on this project and my, with my role is interacting with WDI to make sure these new elements that are going to, that we're putting into the park, uh, for our show are going to be seen by the guests during the daytime. So it's working closely with them, getting the approvals and going through that process to make sure that that they're good with what we're doing. So uh, in a lot of ways, it's it's a little bit more, I don't want to say administrative, but there's a lot more uh, in-depth meetings and and that sort of thing uh, as opposed to just purely creative, right? So right. I, I do have those creative um, uh, responsibilities as well of making sure like we're using everything, you know, according to, to plan. But yeah, that's like, the, I would say the heaviest part of my scope is, is interfacing with uh, WDI to make sure that, that everyone's happy with, with what we're installing in, into the, the new show. Awesome. And finally, as we approach the end of the show, I just wanted to ask you a, a couple out of order, like final large fun fact questions. Um, first of which is what has been your favorite show or project that you've worked on to date? It's so hard, right, Nick? Like, yeah. I, I've, I've, there's, there's so many different um, uh, shows and, and grand openings, ceremonies I've done and, and whatnot. Um, but I honestly think my favorite show was also the hardest show I did, which was World of Color, the original World of Color. It, mm -hmm. it was so groundbreaking. Uh, we were working with the best technology for, for its time, um, and to work on a budget. Uh, I don't remember exactly how much I, it was in, I think around 80 or $90 million. Um, we, we had this, this playground, right. That, that we just got to, to figure out how to make it all work. Right. Um, it, it was the most challenging for me. I, I grew the most. Um, there, there was definitely, you know, times where I wanted to just walk away from it. Um, but it, you know, every day I kept waking up and going to work and, um, and seeing the results day by day, we really realized like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a beautiful show. You can't wait to put this in front of guests. And it, it was hard. It was five months of overnight programming to make the original world of color. Uh, a lot of that's trial and error, right? Um, it was hard, definitely hard, but I am most proud of that show. It's a show that um, just, it, it holds up right through, yeah. through, uh, throughout the last 10 years, it's, it's just held up really well. Uh, so, and I think it's the most well-known as far as like all the other shows I've done. Right. I, I think everyone knows if the, if you know, Disney and you know, you know, big shows, you know, world of color. Sure. So that's definitely one of my, my favorites and most proud shows, uh, to date that I've worked on. 
and you've done so many things in the course of your career so far, but do you have a, now do you have a favorite um, moment, not specifically a show, but a moment that comes to mind or, or maybe a career highlight that you'll never forget? And then conversely, is there maybe a least favorite moment that you try to forget? I have a lot of, a lot of those moments. So I think it's hard just to choose one, but the one that kind of keeps coming back to me right now is um, the, I, I was on the, I was a lighting designer for the opening of the Alani hotel in Hawaii and uh, Nick uh, Van Houten was, was my programmer. And uh, we had a great team there uh, opening up that show, or I'm sorry, opening up that hotel. And we had a, a, a ceremony there. But we were there in Hawaii for a month and um, just working literally on the sand. Um, so I think, I think the moment that sticks out to me is, is working at night uh, on the sand, uh, you know, with the lighting console, um, you know, with, with Nick next to me and everything and just going like, what the heck am I doing? Like, what is this? Right? Like I'm getting paid to be in Hawaii to, to be on the sand, uh, to, to create lights, like, and to create a, a show, like what the heck, like, this is insane. Like, um, so it was one of those like aha moments, right. That you're like, what, what am I, how, how did I get here? Right. Yeah. Awesome. And then like, uh, and then do you have a, a least favorite moment or a, a low point or anything? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, so kind of going back when I was working for the church, um, you know, I, I worked there for two years and then um, really wanted to get in with Disney. And uh, I remember, you know, studying hard and and talking to a few friends that, that worked at Disney as techs uh, just to see like what else I needed to know. And I thought for sure, like I... I knew I was going to work at Disney at some point. I just thought it wasn't going to be for another five or 10 years that I needed way more experience. Um, but I do remember um, applying and going in for the interview um, and they didn't hire me. And that really crushed me quite a mm -hmm. bit just because I, I thought I did have what it takes to, to work for Disney and they, yeah, they didn't hire me. And it was, it, it hurt a lot. And, but I also took that and, and, uh, and said, okay, well, I can't, uh, I can't apply for six more months. So I'm going to take these next six months and do better. And I'm going to come back and I want to prove them right. right. Um, that they need to hire me. So, yeah, I, I mean, I came back six months later and they hired me on the spot. And one of the, uh, one of the guys that was in the room that hired me on the spot, um, I bring the story up to him about a bit. Uh, it's, uh, Chuck Davis. He, I was telling him like, Hey, remember that time you didn't hire me? Um, and, and, you know, and now look at, look at where I'm at now. Right. Or look at where we're at both yeah. of us. And, uh, ironically, uh, Chuck is also quarantining, uh, uh, three floors below me right now here in Hong Kong. Okay. So it's, it's kind of a, a funny statement, right. That it's like, he didn't hire me, but yet he's been taking me around the world with him for the last 10 years. So, yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. I, I guess that was one of my low points, but I, I used it for the better. What, what sort of advice would you give someone who wants to get involved in this industry, specifically when it comes to technical entertainment and design, um, don't give up on your passion. I mean, it, like if if you if you have a passion, whether it's in set design, uh, you know, scenic lighting, audio, uh, video, whatever it is, like just run with it um, and surround yourself with with good people. Um, I, I'd say, like for me, um, I I was lucky to have great people uh, in in my life. I still do, but like um, in in the early days, just like encouraging me as well, and uh, 
and, you know, validating you <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, so don't, I mean, don't give up on it. And I would say networking is, is huge. Um, it's, it's really important to network, uh, and, and to, to expand that pool. Um, and then also entertainment in the world we, we work in, we also live in, right? So it's, it's more than just a job. It's, it's a family that, that you enter into and your attitude and your personality is everything, right? You can be the best, uh, animator, the best lighting designer, lighting programmer, the fastest programmer. But if you're a jerk and you don't want to work with, you know, other people, then you won't get a call back and, and, uh, you know, on, on the next show. So I, I, uh, I think my personality and my attitude is really where I I'm at today. Um, because at the end of the day, when a project, um, or at the end of the, 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 the day in the middle of a project, um, you want to go have a drink with this person, right? Cause you guys are all in it together because it's yeah. seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And, um, you know, so you, you have to, you're doing life with these people as well. So, um, I would say, you know, keep that attitude positive and, and, uh, and be a people person as much as you can. Awesome. And, and now the, the last and final question submitted by one of our listeners, and it's probably the most important question. You could probably guess who it was, but do you have a favorite programmer? <laughs> uh, yes. It's been great, Nick. Thank you so much for <laughs> nope, no problem. Here. Yeah. Thanks for uh, coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, uh, thanks Lars for coming on the show today and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been fun, even though we're 7,000 miles apart, it's been great to, to chat with, with someone. <laughs> yeah, for real. So, um, yeah, stay safe out there in Hong Kong and I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Take care. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Thanks again to Brian Larsh for hanging out with me today, all the way from Hong Kong, China. Hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation, and if you did, please give a rating and review, and by all means, tell your friends about the show. Thanks for stopping by and listening to In the Spotlight, everybody. I'm Nick Herring, and we'll see you on the next one.